This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Oh, yes, here we are. We're back once again, ready to rock and roll, podcasting style. That's how we do it around here. Crackle, crackle a beer. It's time for the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro. My friend, busting open a cold one right now, is Chris Sinzak. How's it going, my friend? It's going good. I'm happy to get back to doing something we haven't done in a very long time. Yeah, you know, we've been busting out the best and worst lately, you know, back-to-back, Iron Maiden and Pantera. We had an awesome time doing both of those, and it was just kind of a circumstance thing because after we'd done Poison, and everybody loved it, and then we had Chris Denae on with us and did Iron Maiden, and everybody loved it, then Josh Toomey reached out to us and said, hey, man, we should get together with Chris Aiken, the four of us sit down and do a best and worst of Pantera. And we said, shit, yeah, let's do it. So we were so excited to do it. We ended up doing the same theme back-to-back weeks, but it's all good because everybody loved that one too. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with the best and worst of. I mean, those are always fun to do and definitely generates discussion. But it was cool because after that, Chris comes back and says, okay, what are we going to do next week? And I was like, oh, geez, I wasn't really sure. But it was funny that you brought up Demolicious because that had actually crossed my mind earlier in the week. And it's like, you know what? Demolicious, we haven't done that in forever. And that's always a lot of fun. Just get together, talk about some of our favorite demo songs, Mm -hmm. songs that were never officially released but are still good enough for a lot of these probably should have been on albums. Yeah, and I mean, a couple of my picks are, they got wound up being released on box sets and deluxe editions right. and stuff. But, uh, you know, we're going to play clips from a whole lot of different stuff. I think I've got nine picks and you've got ten, so you're going to hear a lot of music today. Yeah, it's going to be fun because I looked at the list of songs and clips and picks that Chris put together. There's a lot of this stuff I never even heard before, didn't even know it existed. So today we're definitely going to be introduced to new stuff you've probably never, ever heard before. So before we get to all that, you know us, we're going to take care of that business. One thing we love a lot, I think you know it's true, it's reviews and recommendations. Now, we always like to look and see because we're always asking people, please take the time, leave us an iTunes review, leave us a review on Podchaser, take the time and leave that recommendation for us on Facebook. You know, we're practically begging for it week after week after week. Yep. And then two weeks in a row, we don't get it. (laughs) Not a damn one. Come on. It's the curse of the hat trick a few weeks ago, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of you that listen that haven't left a review, and it it only takes a minute. Just do it on whatever platform you want, and uh, we'll read it on the show. Yeah, it totally means a lot to us, you know, because it helps other people that are out there looking for a podcast about this kind of music to go, 
you know what? This review sounds perfect. I'm going to check out that Decibel Geek podcast. And the next thing you know, they love it. And that was all thanks to you. And of course, we're going to show the love because if you give us five stars, we're going to read your review on the show and give you some love. So if you want to hear your name and your review right on the show, five stars will do it at any one of those places, man. We sure would appreciate it. You know who we really appreciate, though? The people that take the time to follow and comment and get involved in the conversation of rock and roll with us. And the best place for me, and I know it's true for Chris too, we always love it. Once we release the episode on Facebook, we usually get a few comments after it. And I always like reading them because it's always fun because I know we're having a good time doing this show, but we like to see what the people that listen to this show think about what we're doing. Give us props. Give us hell. (laughs) Either way, we'll take it. And we had an awesome comment on the episode that we did last week, the best and worst of Pantera, from our good friend, my Northwoods brother, Kevin Jepsum, who said, oh, fuck, you guys had me screaming on my bike ride. I know everyone has different tastes, but wow. You know, I was honored to be able to meet all of them, and I actually made it onto Dime Vision 2. That's awesome. First off, the worst song they ever did is Suicide Note Part 2. Just garbage. Wrong. And guys, Floods and Tens are great songs. Seriously, I was yelling. (laughs) (laughs) Great episode, guys. All good. Loved it. Pantera. You know, opinions and different tastes is what makes the world go round. I'll take Suicide Note Part 2 over both of those songs any day, but that's me. Yeah, I don't know. Mine fluctuates all the time, but that was fun to do that episode. And yeah, it was difficult to try to pick not only the best song off each album, but the worst, because in a lot of cases, a lot of best and not a lot of worst. Yeah, for sure. One of these times we got to do an episode on a band that sucks so we can have some fun with it. We're not doing Nickelback. I don't care what you say. Instead of just gushing over it, we'll be like, come on, man, Nickelback. What's the best song? Come on, Chris. That would be interesting, though, to to try to pick a best of a, a band that I hate. Um, That's what I'm saying. It would be more fun. Maybe we finally do do a Nickelback episode. A doo-doo is right. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes all the hate in the comment section. Why do you got to bag on Nickelback? Even though I do it like once every 10 years. Come on. You know, that'd be funny. We do that episode, and then at the end, Chris goes... You know what? These guys ain't so bad after all. Nah. Kind of digging it. (laughs) Maybe if I'm doing shrooms or something, I don't know. (laughs) Well, get us some shrooms and get us those recommendations (laughs) and tell Chris you want him to do it. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think I've ever really truly given that band a real fair shake. I think everything I've heard from them on radio is cool for a second, but then gets super old, like by the third time you hear it. And then I've never checked out any of the rest. Well, that's kind of the big thing is they get force fed on radio. And, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a side of a bullet song with Dimebag Daryl is pretty cool. You know, I mean, there are some songs I don't think are that bad. I don't, I don't, I made a few jokes about them early in the show's history. And then everybody's like, oh, you just despise them. I'm like, not really. I actually like the, the Silver Side Up album, the first record. I think that's okay. Or we could always do a heavier side of Juice Newton. Sure. If you prefer. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of bangers in that catalog, I'll tell you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
I just go with it. I'm not going to argue anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, we didn't get any reviews, no recommendations, but we got a lot of love for last week's episode. And the reason we know that so much is because we've got an awesome group of friends out there in the world. They help us out almost every single week. All we do is we ask and say, hey, you want to hear your name right at the beginning of the show? Here's what you got to do. You go to our Facebook page, and when this episode comes out, and it's called Demolicious, and you share that with your friends, or maybe you see it on Twitter and you retweet it, well, man, you're helping us get the word out, and we appreciate that a lot. So every single week, we put together the list of the people that took the time to share and retweet the episode from the week before. In this case, the best and worst of Pantera. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people got out there and shared it. And those people are our Geeks of the Week. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rockin' Round Runyon, and Obscuria Podcast, Set and Spend with Joe, Mike Tyler, Buddy Inglesby, Pantheon Podcast, Mike Parnell, Asher, John, John, Chris Aiken, Joshua Toomey, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Ray Kuhn, Donald the Rising, David Glenn, Aaron Baker, Rob Webb, Brent Tibbetts, Kristen Schimbeck, Matt Ashcraft, Mark Borer, The Swear, John Phillips, Mark Alden-Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, Mark and Jerry BS Sessions, Jason Worden, David Cathy, Will Honeycutt, Joseph Capone, Jeff Taylor, Joel Hoffman, Focus on Metal Podcast, Doug Fox, The Central Scrutinizer, Keith Rockford, Jay Shablewski, Eladio, Ernesto Aguiar, Vet Halen, Sean Cullen, J.J. McElhenney, Lil Willie A to Z, Alan Deshawn, Chris McGowan, J.J.P. Body of the Soul, Gregory Muse, Kevin's on Fire, Scott Crouch, and as always... The, the Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people, our geeks of the week. We love them a lot. They love us a lot. They share our episodes. They help us get the word out, and we appreciate that more than anything. So if you want to have your name added to this list of prestige and honor, that's all you got to do. Share this week's episode and hear your name read right here on next week's show. You know... Mm-hmm. It's mentioned in there, Pantheon Podcast. They always share our episodes. We are part of Pantheon Podcast. All the best music podcasts in the entire world, all in one place. They make it easy for you to find what you love. And you know you love music because you're listening to this. Go to PantheonPodcasts.com or look them up on Facebook or Twitter or wherever. And give them a like, give them a follow. And give them a thanks for bringing the Decibel Geek podcast to you for free every single week. Yeah, and I should also mention I'm always including um, those of you that share and retweet the new noise episodes as well. Because I everybody deserves credit for sharing and retweeting. So thank you, know, you. Doing them new noise. New episode every single week. New noise weekly. You got to love it. Did you catch the last one? Chris Sinzak wishing Vinnie Vincent a happy birthday? Huh? You got to check that out. What? <laughs> Who? Anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, here we go. We haven't done this in a long time, man. This was a treat to go find us some cool-ass demos to share with our rock and roll people, man. I found some cool stuff I never heard before. I know you got stuff on your list I've never heard before, so you ready to bust it out? You ready to get demolicious? Yep, let's go. All right, I guess I got one more than you, so I go first? Sure. All right, I'm going to start out with one of my all-time favorite bands, the almighty ACDC. ACDC is awesome for recording more songs than what they needed for their albums back in the day. I'm talking Bon Scott era. I can never get enough of those songs, and so it always makes me happy to hear something that I never, ever heard before. 
Now, this one was a B-side to the Dog Eat Dog single back in the day. You got the Dog Eat Dog single? (laughs) I don't have the single. I am familiar with this song, though. Yeah, well, it was recorded in London along with Love at First Feel, Cold Hearted Man, and an early version, A Whole Lot of Rosie, that's, it was called Dirty Eyes at the time. And this song has been included on t- countless bootlegs over the years. Before yep. 2009, when ACDC released the Backtracks box set. And I love ACDC for that. For those box sets they put out that's got the rarities on it. The songs that, even though they were demos, they sound fantastic. They find a way to make them great. And there's so many great songs that could have easily made it on the ACDC albums. This one here is one of my all-time favorites, and it's a song called Carry Me Home. You ain't no lady, but you sure got toasted men. That head of yours has got you by time and time again. My arms and legs are aching and my head's about to blow. And your back's needing breaking and I'd hate to spoil the show. Would have fit fine on any of the records from the 70s, really. Yeah, I think so. And it's a cool story about trying to outdrink a girl and it's not working and <laughs> carry my drunk ass back to my house, please. <laughs> very autobiographical for Bond, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, very Bond Scott. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's one of my all-time favorite demos. Yeah, no, I like that one. I That one I had on a, I had a bootleg CD, God, 20 years ago or something. And that was one of the songs on it. And yeah. I used to listen to it a lot. Yeah. And I remember when you brought it up, I was like, well, I haven't heard that one in a long time. But yeah, it's uh there's a lot of great unreleased ACDC stuff. You could do an entire episode on that alone. Oh, totally, man. So many great songs. Man, I yeah. loved it when I got that backtracks and it was like, I'm hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time ever. And to me, it's brand new ACDC songs from the past. You know, this mm-hmm. is something that I could never get enough of like one of my favorite bands that's gone, say that era of ACDC, you'll never get that again. But then something every once in a while comes out that's never been heard before. And it blows my mind every time. I love it. Yeah. So um, that's a good way to start things off. And so for mine, we'll stay in the A's and it it also is uh, apropos. That's a big word like gymnasium that, uh, that you picked like something that would come out later on that you know you didn't realize existed, and that's the same case for me on this one. Um, Allison Chains put out a thing called Music Bank uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, you know I always wanted to hear some of the stuff that they had done before they kind of went full grunge, and because you know anyone who knows the history of the band knows they were called they were called you know they were called Alice Allison chains um back in the 80s and they were more of a glam metal band uh before they really went 
with the change in their sound. Weren't they also known as like Alice N Chains, like Guns N Roses? That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh they were almost more like a Sunset Strip band. Oh, and yeah. uh uh so I always kind of wanted to hear some stuff from that era. And there is some stuff out there, but like this came out a couple of years ago and I just I went back and revisited it revisited it today. Um and I was like, man, this is like so different from everything that wound up on facelift and uh, i can't find a lot of info on this song other than it comes from an early demo collection that was recorded in 1988 and it was called the treehouse tapes and it would like i mentioned it would resurface on uh, music bank it's a really cool box that they put out i think this song kind of shows the transition from typical glam band into what they became but i still think it's a great song from 1988, it's an Allison Chain soon called I Can't Have You Blues. just too much fun to be on one of those early Alice in Chains albums. Yeah, it's too happy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It's a good song. It is pretty fun and cool. I like it. Yeah, and and Lane's vocals. Man, what a, what a fucking singer. Yeah. Would have been nice if they could have recorded an album like before Facelift, like a real album. Mm-hmm. What that would have been like. Yeah. But yeah, that and that music bank, and I'll I'll direct people to buy stuff. Like you, if you get music bank, it's got a lot of unreleased stuff like that on there. So it's definitely worth your money if you if you haven't picked that up yet. Yeah, it's super cool. I love it when bands do that. You know, again, songs from the past that you never heard before, that you never even knew existed. You gotta love it. That's what Demolicious is all about. You know, I'm just bebopping around the internet, looking up some of my favorite bands, seeing what kind of demos they got. I thought, oh, I've never really done this before. Just look to see what the heck was out there. And I came across this one, and I didn't even know these demos were on the YouTube, but they're all there. Talk about the demos that got Faster Pussycat signed to Elektra in 1987. A bunch of the stuff that they recorded that they must have presented that they said, yep, this is what we're looking for now is Faster Pussycat. This one is a cool song called Whorehouse, but if you're a Faster Pussycat fan and you remember that first album, then you'll know that this is the original version of the song Cat House. Yeah. 
Metro must have wanted them to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Whorehouse is a, is a bit of a jolt. But, uh, and, you know, who knows? Maybe cat, maybe the Cat House wasn't a thing when they initially wrote the song and then they changed it in honor of the club. Who knows? Yeah, it could be. I have no idea. But it's fun to go back and hear some of that stuff of the stuff that your favorite bands were doing before they were actually signed, before they were going into real studios with real producers, you know, and having great equipment at their beck and call, you know, and and just what they were able to scratch together just to kind of make a demonstration of what they're all about, you know. And so it's fun to go back and hear some of that stuff. And there's other songs that are from that same, I guess, from them same sessions that they put together to pitch something to get them to be signed. Yeah. I mean, give me a time machine so I can go back to the eighties and be there for this stuff. It would have been so cool. Uh, so for my next one, I mentioned this tune during our best and worst of Pantera discussion, but I was like, well, what, what better opportunity than to uh, play a little bit of it on, on this episode. So in 1989, Pantera went into a studio to start recording what would become Cowboys from hell. You know, they're coming off power metal, doing a change in their sound and one track that was left off of those sessions was called The Will to Survive. And I really think this song really represents the bridge from Glamterra to Pantera. And it's got riffs that would show up later in songs like This Love, but it's also got like a kind of a Queensryche Judas Priest feel, especially vocally. And uh, it's just, but it's a great song. Yeah, I know they came into their own with Cowboys and then, of course, with Vulgar, but... It's cool to hear them at this point in time, and I think it's very viable music. So Pantera, The Will to Survive from 1989. Pantera for that album but man I love it I see exactly what you're saying how that's like the link between what Pantera was and then what they became on Cowboys from Hell yeah I mean I like that they recycled one of the big riffs in the song for this love yeah I think that's cool but also you know it's a great showcase for Phillips vocals and you know also I gotta give the rest of the band credit for the backing vocals like they they had some really good backing vocal ability there and you know you didn't really hear that of course on later records because they didn't really do backing vocals but 
Um, yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing song. I, I loved listening to it. It's pretty cool, man. I like that. All right, so I'm going to go back way old school from there. Talk about 1978. I didn't even know that. You know, I knew, I guess, kind of the history of Rat, that they were Mickey Rat before they shortened it down and all that. And I knew that Jakey e. Lee played with them, but I never quite realized that it goes way back to the late 70s. I didn't realize that either. Which is pretty cool because there's some neat stuff out there on the internet, especially if you look up Mickey Rat. So this one's pretty cool, and I didn't realize some of this stuff, but during the Mickey Rat days, the band would record demos and then release them on cassette tape and like sell them at shows and stuff like that. So they actually had demos out as Mickey Rat as they were going along. And the reason that they were able to do this is because Stephen Piercy actually had his own indie label called Top Fuel Records back then. So he's <laughs> releasing them through his own thing, which is fascinating to me. Someday we got to get to talk to Stephen Piercy and ask him about that. Like, how is it in the early days you're running your own label and pushing your own band and how that all works? Very entrepreneurial of him. Yeah. So, like I said, this one goes all the way back to 1978 and even features a young Jake E. Lee on lead guitar. This is some historical stuff right here. It's Mickey Rat and a song called You Got It. on the internet and start rabbit holing around and find stuff like this yeah youtube is a treasure trove especially yeah. when you don't want to start looking at demo stuff but yeah it's a jay healy couldn't have been more than 15 16 years old when that was recorded right you know, I, that's that's really early and it was interesting you mentioned that he called it top fuel records because even now steven piercy is a i don't it's it's weird he's a friend of mine on linkedin and his company is called Top Fuel Entertainment, so he kept that name even to today. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I suppose if it's a company you officially started back in the late 70s, why wouldn't you keep it going all these years for all your different endeavors? Yeah, well, he was, and I think it comes from his love of uh, racing. Yeah. Because uh, he, you know, he, he was into racing cars and stuff when he was a teenager. So, and, and I think it was like a broken leg or something that kind of forced him into the music scene. Because he was injured so badly, he was laid up in the hospital for a while, and 
he's like, well, what am I going to do now? I can't race cars, so I'm going to might as well do music. And that was kind of how he got into music. Lay there in that hospital bed and said, I'm not getting another haircut. I'm going to get some tattoos. I better give me a pen and paper. I got to write some songs. <laughs> so uh, I'll stick with the uh, the 80s metal uh, bands that we all know and love. And Cinderella, uh, I don't have a lot of information on this, and it was hard to find stuff, but there was a compilation tape called The Basement Tapes, which seemingly originates from around 1985 of early, early Cinderella demos. And the lineup that they had at, as of this recording uh, was Tom Kiefer, Eric Brittingham, but also Michael Kelly Smith, who was in Britney Fox yeah. later on, and then Tony Destra on drums, who was the original drummer for Britney Fox, but before they got signed, he tragically died in an auto accident in Philadelphia after one of their shows. And Oh, yeah. You can... Uh, I can't remember what interview I saw. One of the people from... Britney Fox did an interview and they kind of recounted the whole thing where it happened at like three in the morning and the car caught on fire. It's like, it's, it's a horrible story to read, but you can find that on the internet. But, uh, but yeah, Tony Destra played on the early Cinderella demos as their drummer and then wound up helping form Britney Fox and then tragically died in 1987. But, uh, Cinderella with kind of half of Britney Fox recorded these demos and one of those songs was called Playing With Fire. It's got uh, that typical sleazy rock sound to it. I mean, like it, it almost sounds like a straight-up Cinderella song, even though it's two different guys recording with Tom and Eric on that. But uh, interesting to hear for sure. Yeah, and talking about Cinderella, when I was checking out some stuff, I found some Cinderella demos too, and I was looking at the Nobody's Fool demo. Did you get to hear that? No, I haven't heard that. That is a trip, man, because it's... Boy, it's raw, you know, and it's not so super polished like what you get on night songs, you know, with the single and everything. Right. It's a really cool version of it that I almost prefer the demo. I still say that Nobody's Fool is basically, if you can imagine, what if ACDC did a power ballad, it would be Nobody's Fool. Yeah. Because he sounds so much like Brian Johnson on that song. Yeah. Yep. Great song, though. Yeah, it is. 
All right. Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that one of the most revered and legendary set of demos of all time has got to be No Life Till Leather by Metallica. Recorded in 1982 on one day, July 6th, 1982. And it's got all the precursors of what would become Metallica. All the songs end up on Kill 'Em All. And you know, earlier I said that I had been thinking about Demolicious. And what got me thinking about it was an interview with David Ellefson that I had read last week where he was talking about when they were working on the very first Megadeth album, Killing's My Business and Business is Good. Yeah. And they said they had some songs and it was very Sabbathy, kind of like uh, almost a precursor to like doom metal. Mm-hmm. And Dave Mustaine had gotten a letter from a fan. And the letter said, I hope your new album, I hope your new band, I hope you guys are faster than Metallica. <laughs> and David said, all of a sudden, the songs immediately changed. Like they went from these hard rocking kind of groove metal songs into speed thrash metal immediately. Wow. Because upon reading that letter from the fan, it changed the trajectory in Dave Mustaine's mind. Then it wasn't, I have to be better than Metallica. It's, I have to be better and faster than Metallica. And it all comes down to that one fan's letter. Hmm. Isn't that wild? Well, we have that. We have to uh, thank that fan for a lot of things, and don't we? <laughs> Maybe, but what it made me think of is, wow! I wonder if there's any demos out there of that. I would love to hear what those songs were like, slowed down, heavy, yeah, instead of speed metal style with those guys doing them originally. And so I got online and started looking for demos of it, and there's nothing out there. Yeah, I don't know of a lot of Megadeth demos from the early days that are floating around. No, there's a few demos from that first album, but they're already speed metal songs at that point. So they're demoing them after the change has been made. So I don't know, maybe the songs were never even recorded. Maybe they're just being rehearsed and being prepared to be recorded. So then that got me thinking about Metallica and No Life to Leather. Now, I've listened to that thing a bunch of times over the years in different bootleg styles, but I hadn't listened to it in a long time, so I pulled it back out and listened to it. And you know what? It's not too much of a difference to what would be on Kill 'Em All. But there are moments in some of them songs on No Life to Leather where they are kind of slowed down and grooved out just a little bit more. And I think that really shines through on the demo version of Seek and Destroy. Running on our way out, you will 
not so sharp. You know, it's a little bit yeah. gloomier. A little. I guess that's maybe got a lot to do with the fact that it's just a demo production. You know, it's not a super in the studio, cleaned up, beautiful, engineered, all of that. It does sound like a band kind of trying to find their sound. You know, yeah. And, and I, I guess that's with Mustaine and uh, Ron McGovney on bass, right? Yes. Yeah, so like that's the the earliest version of the band that you're hearing. But yeah, it it's still it's interesting as just uh for historical reference just to hear where they came from. But yeah, but it's also impressive that even in those early days they were almost completely formed as far as their sound goes, you know. It's Yeah. You know, Metallica it's one of those some some people, I don't know if you want to call it divine or whatever, but it's almost like from the the cosmos or the universe or whatever you want to call it, it's just like you are the guys, and here's your sound. And yeah. Metallica is one of those bands. Have you heard? Um, the well, sorry to change the subject. We're in the middle. It's not a new noise, but I saw it was interesting that Ellefson is now going out on tour with Jeff Young and Chris Poland, and they're doing um, Peace Cells and uh, So Far So Good. So what in full live? I saw that. It's just kind of a southwestern U.S. thing, but yeah, man, I'd love to see that. Yeah, I mean, I I hope they do more dates with that lineup because that's pretty fucking cool to hear those albums front to back. Yeah, so if you are in California, Arizona, New Mexico, around in that area, go to these shows so they sell out and he wants to do more. Well, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, he's pissed off that he's not with Mustaine anymore and he's getting revenge. But he even said in an interview, he's like, no, it's not a, it's not, I think he said it's something like, it's not retaliation, it's celebration. And I do think that. Like, the Ellison yeah. is, I'm sure him and Mustaine have had their, their differences, but I do think he appreciates, you know, kind of carrying the torch for Megadeth fans. And, and he said that he goes to conventions and, you know, people bring those two albums up to him all the time, and he's friends with Chris Poland and Jeff Young, so why not do this? So I, I think for the fans, I think that's a great thing. Who's singing for him? I saw the name of the guy, but I can't remember right so now. So it's nobody real well-known? Nobody I really knew, okay. no. But it's just it's cool that, you know, those two guitar players with Elson and hearing all those tracks live, because there's a number of those songs that you're not going to hear Megadeth do, so I, I think there's a need for that. They should see if... Uh, James Hetfield to do it. What a twist of fate that would be. <laughs> Dave Mustaine's head's exploding right now as he hears the... Yeah. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> <laughs> Too awesome, man. I'd love to see that, though. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to hear those demos. I Anytime hope. I can hear an album I love in full, I'm there for it. So yeah. if, if that comes to Nashville, I will absolutely go. Oh, 100%. Because I, I love both of those records. And Chris Poland's an amazingly underrated player, in my opinion. For sure. All right, so my next one. Um, in 1988, Scorpion scored a pretty big hit with the release of Savage Amusement. I know that's probably not one of your favorite albums of theirs. No. But uh, it was on, kind of on the strength of the single Rhythm of Love which if you want to hear a funny argument about that uh, song, go listen to Rock and Metal Combat Podcast because Ian and Ralph like differ greatly on that song. That's funny. <laughs> but uh, the album, But I'm, I'm in Ian's corner because I love this record. I bought it brand new when it came out. This was like right when I started buying records left and right. And uh, the album went to number five, sold over a million copies. It was the last one that they had produced by Dieter Dirks. 
but this track that I'm going to feature was left off the album, and it seems kind of strange because I think it's a really strong song and almost has kind of more of an early era Scorpions feel, almost like the Michael Schenker era. And this is the Scorpions from 1988 with a song called Taste of Love. song better than anything on savage amusement i totally knew you were gonna say that (laughs) that's awesome i freaking like that man that's badass yeah well and there's like three other bonus tracks like so the the scorpions i will give credit to because they've been re-releasing their catalog but with several bonus tracks that got left off the records and there's like three other songs that i could have easily picked for this um that all sound on the same par with this one so I think it's one of those things where they were like, if it sounds like 70 zero scorpions, don't put it on there. And this is one of those songs where I think it does that. That riff is straight out of the seventies. Yeah. That's why I like it. Cause that's the scorpions I like. Yeah. And I mean, we've played, um, what was that song running to the plane or something in on a past demolitious episode? I think so. Yeah. Running for the plane. I think is what it was it's called. It's been a but, long time, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's been years. Um, but no, like this, uh, you know, I was just like, damn. And I, I was like, I got to buy these other, these Scorpions deluxe editions because if they have that much cool unreleased material, I'll, I'll rebuy some of these records for sure. That's funny how the Scorpions are sometimes with those, with the B sides and the demos and stuff where like, uh, for example, their latest album and the one before that, they release it, but it's got like almost another album's worth of songs mm-hmm. that didn't make the album. So it's almost like a double album. But I know that the last couple of ones, it's like, man, all my favorite songs are the ones on the bonus disc, the ones that didn't make the actual album. Well, for the one before the new one, yeah, I would agree with you. But the new one, Jesus, I mean, I think the new one at at this moment, as we record this in August of 2022, it's in my top five for the year. Oh, yeah, definitely. That album's good all the way through. Yeah, Rock Believer. Uh, I think even though Rock Believer is a generic name. But um, but no, I although I do like the extra stuff they've had on, they, that they left off of it. But I don't know, man. I Shit. I mean, they... they could contend for the album of the year right now it's that good it is it really is i would have to agree with that all right so last year talk about treats out of nowhere little miracles happening around you every single day you got to do your best to notice the miracles that happen in your life because the more you recognize the more they're going to happen one of the greatest miracles ever 
is when you wake up in the morning and you go and you look online and holy shit, there's a Black Sabbath song released that nobody's ever heard before. Yep, I rushed to hear this when it when that was announced. Yep, happened last year. It was uploaded to YouTube by the late keyboardist Jeff Nichols' son. What mm-hmm. a great guy he is. Yep. Just released it out there for everyone to hear. I know we talked about it probably on a New Noise episode or something back last year when it came out, talking about the song Slapback. It was recorded in 1979 during the Heaven and Hell sessions, quite possibly one of the first things Dio ever did with Black Sabbath. Yeah, had to be. Yeah, very cool, though, man. Not the best thing in the world. Can kind of understand why it didn't make it onto the album if they were limited for time as they were back then. You only had so much room on an LP. So it's not like today when you can release an album that's got 50 tracks on it if you want to. Or even when CDs came out, when they jumped up to like 14, 15, you could put on sometimes more. Right. Back then, it was limited. So you had to pick your best 10 that you could possibly squeeze onto an album. So it's tough when things get left off. This one's really good. It might be just the joy of getting to hear a Dio-era Sabbath song that was never heard before that just makes my heart swell. But anytime something like that happens, it's a beautiful day. just cool to hear it you know it, it, it's just a fun i mean yeah i get why it was left off the album yeah. and like several of my picks especially the next few are going to be that way but it's still just cool to hear the creative process and to hear what didn't make the record but sometimes it's still enjoyable to listen to yeah i mean if they were unlimited on space and it did make the album i don't think i would have hated it I no i wouldn't have complained at all but yeah, anytime something like that happens, it got me thinking about old Sam Loomis. We haven't heard nothing <laughs> from Sam Loomis in a while. Oh no, he did a whole. He released like another twenty-two videos. No shit. Yeah, I'll send you the link to it. I him. swear, I've subscribed <laughs> to all that. <laughs> oh no, that channel got taken down, but he released it different ways. Oh okay, I got you, man. I'm out of the loop on that yeah. stuff. But I was thinking about man, I wish there was a Sam Loomis for studio tracks. Yeah, me too. Like, that's, you know, the video stuff is getting all the fanfare, and I get that because Kiss is a visual band, but like, give me some like studio demos and stuff and soundboards of shows we haven't, even if it's not Kiss. I mean, I, there's, there's so much cool stuff out there that we've never heard, I'm sure. You know, we talked about that on Torpedo Dudes about the Kiss hoarders, the guys that yep. will hunt down and spend money. It's, I mean, I get it because you're spending your money on it and you decide, do you want to release it to the world or do you hold on to it because it's rare and valuable? Yeah. If there's so much stuff out there with Kiss, how much stuff out there is there of all these other bands that we love? Oh, there's a ton out there. I'm sure of it. 
I hope it all comes out someday. Yeah, I'm just happy for what we get, you know. And if there's stuff we miss out on, I get it for the reasons that those people get that stuff. So, like, I'm not going to hate on the people that search it out and pay money for it. That's that's their business. But, uh, but no, I you know I love hearing that stuff. Like the fact that you know a year ago we were like, hey, you're going to hear a Dio saw you know a Dio fronted track from Black Sabbath you've never heard. I'm like, that's fucking amazing. Yeah, from '79. You're yeah. just going to get it in 2021. Yeah, even if you have to wait so many years, it's still awesome when you get to hear it. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> my next few tracks are a little odd. So uh, next up is my favorite band in the Decibel Geek Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, of course, I'm talking about my favorite band that I inducted, the Killer Dwarfs. <laughs> As it should be. As it should be. Killer Dwarfs are one of the most underrated rock and roll bands of all time. And uh, in 1986, they released their second album, Stand Tall, which is a great record. Featured a bunch of great songs, including Keep the Spirit Alive, Borderline, Up to You and Me. Uh, They recorded most of these demos in 1985, and one track that got left off the album is this song, and it's called Tonight. I do get why it didn't make the record. I don't know, man. I really like that a lot. You think it's better than some of the stuff on the record? Some of the stuff, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it could have it could have easily had its place on the record for sure. But uh, I I want to hear more Killer Dwarfs unreleased stuff, and this that that's a band that we will always champion because they never got the the credit they deserve. I agree with that one hundred percent. I mean, even their demos, the songs that didn't make the albums, are kick ass. Yeah. And they're good guys, too. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. Well, I guess if you're going to uh, feature your favorite band in our Hall of Fame, then I'll do the same for a band that I inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Talking about Tough. (laughs) Another well-deserving band. (laughs) Indeed. This one is awesome. And this is one thing, you know, if you're a tough fan, man, we've had it pretty good. You know, over the years, sure, they only released a handful of albums, but Steve Rochelle is always good about finding quality, unreleased stuff to be able to release for people. 
history yeah. of tough had a bunch of backtrack stuff on it that was never heard before decade of disrespect came out that had a bunch of cool live tracks and deep cuts that no one ever heard before but in 1997 stevie rochelle released tough regurgitation which was basically yeah a bunch of songs that never made it on to nothing stevie's honest in his humor calls it regurgitation because that's what it is but Man, there's some really cool stuff on here. Rehearsal demos on here from 1990. They've got live tracks on here from 95. But the coolest part on this, I think, is some of these old studio demos, stuff that I'd never heard up to that point. Songs like Round Em Up, Another Man's Gun, Want Trouble, You Got It. There's so much cool stuff on here that I was I was so excited when this came out because, again... It's one of my favorite bands, a bunch of songs that are classic era stuff that I'd never heard before, and that always makes me happy. What made me especially happy about this one is those studio versions. For example, the 1989 studio version of Ain't Worth a Dime, which is quite a bit different than what ends up as the version that appears on their debut album in 1991. And you can tell that Howard Benson, who, you know, mega producer, definitely knows what he's doing at this point in his career, really kind of takes this band who's got kind of a rough edge and really polishes them off to how they need to sound to be able to even get their songs on MTV, let alone be one of the top bands on Dial MTV. So to me... Because I'm always a heavier guy. If you ask me what my favorite Tough album is, it's always going to be Religious Fix because that's the heavy album. I love that one. This stuff here appeared on the first album, but a song like Ain't Worth a Dime sounds like it could have been on Religious Fix. It's just got that heavier, hard edge to it, and I love it. Sometimes it's funny how a studio demo can be something I prefer to the actual song that came out. But yeah, perfect example right here. Ain't Worth a Dime by Tough. Seventy-five cents for that. It ain't even worth a dime. It's worth more than a dime. Yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> what 
No, what? it's not bad. I, I don't mind it. And, and you're right, though. It does have that religious fix type sound to it. And so they were kind of ahead of their time on that. Um, it's funny you mentioned Howard Benson. He's somebody I've been thinking about trying to get on the show. That'd be pretty uh, cool. I mean, he's he, got a million albums we could talk about. Yeah, he did so many records that are kind of crucial to us, and but also survived through the 90s into the 2000s. So he yeah. saw, he kind of survived the shifting tides of the music industry. So I think he would have a good perspective on how that all works. But That is pretty wild. I was looking at his production discography, and it is pretty interesting how... Like a lot of guys, like Michael Wagner told us, you know, up to a certain point, then all of a sudden the phone stopped ringing. Right. For a guy like him, Howard Benson, kind of the same thing. But if you look at his discography, he goes right along with what's popular and out of one and into the other, no problem. Yeah. And I, well, I've seen inter- interviews with him where he was like, I downplayed the tough and bang tango stuff, you know, as, as time went on. So I, 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 he probably knew the best way to market himself as a producer. So I think that helped him in the long run, but Michael Wagner, Michael's not changing for anybody. Yeah. So, you know, he's like, either you like what I've done or you don't, I don't give a fuck. So, uh, but it's interesting. Uh, I would love to have Howard on the show, but, uh, it's cool to hear that, that demo from tough for sure. Yeah. I like it. I like it a little heavier. Okay, so, all right, the next one, I have no shame in admitting that this is definitely something that was justified in not being on the record. And everyone who listens that regularly knows that I'm a giant Alice Cooper fan, and I'm an even bigger Alice Cooper fan for the early 80s stuff. Oh, yeah. So, in 1981, he did Special Forces, and he recorded a lot of weird stuff now the the special forces album that came out there's a lot of weird stuff on that record uh this is one that actually it got marketed with this song on there this is the weirdest thing is like that they promoted the album with this is one of the songs on the record probably because the title's so odd but the song didn't make it and like the only time we actually got to hear it was it got released in i think 99 on the life and crimes of alice cooper box set And this is Alice Cooper from 1981 with probably the longest song title of his whole career. Look at you over there ripping the sawdust from my teddy bear. Wow. You're so darn pretty girl. I think you know it too. When Monday morning quarterback yaggedy ass. Look at you over there ripping the sawdust from my teddy bear. Yeah, now look at you over there ripping the sawdust from my teddy bear. You take the pebbles from the baby's rattle. You make Santa's reindeer look like cattle. You take teeth, the belt rust, turn into sawdust. Alice Cooper was so high in 1981. <laughs> it's, it's one of the weirdest songs he ever did. It's still kind of cool, though. It's cool, but, and it's, it's I wanted, it, like, Demolicious is the perfect opportunity to play some of it, but it's not something I go back to often. 
you know, I bought the Life and Crimes of Alice Cooper box set just to get this song. Yeah. I'll be honest. I did but I did pay money just to get this song. And so was that um, the first time you'd ever heard it? Yes. Yeah. Um, because I saw the advertising for it. Like the when when the uh, promo copies of Special Forces came out, it would say like prettiest cop on the block and other songs, and they would say, you know, the teddy bear. So I'm like, what the fuck is that? Because it's not on the record. So like they marketed it with this song on it, but it wasn't on the actual official release. And for a number of years, I was like, I want to hear this fucking song. And then um, somebody told me, actually a listener told me, oh, it's on the Life and Crimes of Alice Cooper box set. So I actually found it at McKay here in Nashville. That's wild. And when I saw that, I was like, I'm totally buying this because of because it has this one song on it. Of course, I was very underwhelmed once I heard the song, but I was like, well, at least I have it now. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, weird, man. I wonder why that worked out the way it did. It's a it's a very odd song, but I, you know, cool to feature it here today. That's cool, man. You know, get to hear something like that every day. No, probably a good thing though. <laughs> <laughs> Not his best moment. <laughs> All right, cool. I got one by a guy who was definitely influenced by Alice Cooper. Talk about Wednesday Thirteen. I'm just cruising around the YouTube looking for demos from some of my favorite artists. I know nothing about this song, except it's pretty damn cool, and I like it a lot. And it's got that awesome Wednesday 13 theme to it. This one's called Morgue and Mindy. pretty great i love how he does that morgan mindy and it sounds like a straight up wednesday 13 song and i like it so it's yeah. like dang you know why wasn't this on an album yeah no it's, it's exactly what you would expect from him yeah. uh, and i enjoyed hearing it but yeah this very clever song title uh, just thought i'd slip that one in there because i found it and i thought it was cool no that's cool so uh, my next one, a, a couple of years ago, Thin Lizzy released an amazing box set called Rock Legends, and uh, I couldn't wait to order this thing. It cost me quite a bit of money, um, more than I usually pay for a record or a box set, but uh, it was worth it. Uh, unlike some other bands we love, <coughs> Kiss, um, the band did to go the extra mile and included quite a few demos and unreleased tracks on this. 
And uh, I have a soft spot for the late 70s, early 80s version of the band that had Snowy White opposite Scott Gorham. Yeah. You know, no disrespect to Gary Moore, of course, because I love him, too. Uh, and the box set was a tune called It's Going Wrong that has, like, a cool snappy feel and an awesome solo by Scott Gorham. Now, this track would have also made sense on Phil's solo album, Solo in Soho, but I wanted to feature it here today because outside of this box set, you're probably not going to hear this song. So Thin Lizzy, It's Going Wrong from, I think, believe 1981. If you love me, you love me. Now love me fast and leave me every single way. I want to jump, I want to scream, I want to shout, I want to leave you here, leave you just like I did just today. I loved you yesterday. Hopping and jumping and squeezing and lying and loving and leaving it out. I want to jump, I want to scream, I want to tell you my dream. It's going wrong. It's going wrong, that's my song. It's going wrong. that came out reading about it and what was all going to be on it and when you said you were going to get it man i was excited it was a big uh decision to, to buy it because it was like 150 dollars. it was not cheap and uh but it comes with some cool stuff and even a uh, autographed postcard from scott gorham which that was kind of the clincher for me it was like i i don't have his autograph and that's as close as i'm going to get to the early days so uh but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff on that box set. It's totally worth it. If it ever shows up online and you're a Thin Lizzy fan, definitely buy it. Next time I come over to your house, I'm going to bring me a couple of blank CDRs with. I will happily burn it all for you because <laughs> I'm not giving it up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, like you said, I wish Kiss would be able to do something like that. Yeah, the Kiss box set was a bit of a bummer. I mean, it had a few things, but most of the stuff they put out was pretty much already available on the bootleg market yeah and it's kind of tough because like even like i said just kind of looking around for stuff like you put in the name of your favorite band and put in unreleased demo some bands just don't have it yeah you know it's either they got it and they're holding on to it and they're not going to release it unless they can release it on an album or find a way to sell it to you or you know i guess some bands they say you know hey the new album's got to have 12 songs on it Okay, we'll write 12 songs. I'll tell you one thing, I'll, and I'll put a call out to our listeners, because, I mean, somebody in our audience probably knows, but I can't find any cool stuff from, like, the Pete Willis inter, uh, era of Def Leppard. And mm. I, I, something tells me they recorded more stuff than wound up on those first two records. Yeah, you would think there would at least be some kind of demos for the first album. Yeah, I bet out there's there. more stuff out there that we haven't heard. That'd be nice for that to come out someday. Yep. All right. I've been waiting all episode to talk about this one. You know, we've done Demolicious with Kiss, 
and talked about all their demos in the past mm-hmm. on a special episode. And we talked about the Ace Fraley demos from 85. He was getting together with Anton Fig and John Regan and Richie Scarlett and keyboardist Arthur Steed and on and off recording stuff between like 84, 85, 86, around in there before Fraley's Comet actually becomes a thing. And there's actually quite a few demo songs out there from Ace Fraley and his boys around that time. Now, we've talked about it a million times, man. Audio video is a demo of a song that nobody can figure out why Ace Fraley, if he goes back into his demos and pulls out songs like Sister, which was cool, and stuff like that, why you wouldn't redo audio video in the studio and give it its due because it's an amazing song audio video and back into my arms as far as those demos from that era go they get all the love all of it that's true but i was listening to some of those demos again not too long ago and i was thinking about years ago now the time i went on the podcast i think it's defunct now i don't know if it's still around the lipstick panel and we did a round table on the first Fraley's Comet album. And I went into that going, Dolls is the worst Ace Fraley song. (laughs) And I always hated it. But then those guys, Greg Troyan, and the other dudes that were on there with me talked so favorably about Dolls that it made me kind of rethink it. And it's like, okay, you know, yeah, it's kind of a song that goes towards Cars, Blondie, kind of style and it's way different than what you'd expect from ace Frehley, but still in its own way even like 80s alice cooper kind of in its own way in its new new wavy ish kind of way it's still pretty cool mm-hmm. and so that made me think about this song which is way way outside the box from what you'd expect from ace Frehley. it's very cars blondie blackout era alice cooper a little bit almost disco-y, weird song that is still pretty damn cool. I'd like to hear Ace Frehley do a new version of this song, or maybe some other band pick this up and do a cover of this song, because I think it needs to be heard, just because it's so far outside what you'd expect from being in the Ace Frehley box. It's out there. Check it out. You'll see what I'm saying weird demo and it's called The Girl Can't Dance She feels overcome Watch out Killing skirt, ginger 
I've always loved that song, and and I love those demos from that era. And like, I actually, um, I was looking through in like an old Cream or Hit Parader um, with an interview with Ace from back in those days, and I guess he had gone into the studio with Tony Bongiovi, who was John's uncle, I think, yeah. at the Power Station, and recorded a lot of those demos. And he said in the interview that those songs didn't get released because he didn't think it had the right feel for him as like a former m- member of Kiss. And I guess I get that, but to me, New Wave Ace Fraley is fucking cool. Yeah. I, I I love a lot of those songs, and uh, the Arthur Steed. I, I, that's another person I want to interview for the show is Arthur Steed because I would love to talk to him because on those songs, man, from those Power Station sessions, I mean, I will survive, and I got yep. the touch, and even audio video, and especially the girl can't dance. Yep. It's got Arthur Sneed's fingerprints all over it. This stuff is pretty keyboard heavy. I mean, and there's even versions of here on here of We Got Your Rock and stuff yep. that did make it onto the first Fraley's Comet. They're a little more keyboardy than what ends up on there. But it's weird though, because Ace's voice works with that sound for some reason. You yeah, know, it definitely it, still works. He has that voice and also there's uh he does a Joe Tex cover called Baby It's You. Yeah. That uh, that I actually a really good cover and like that song came back into my life through um you remember Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did a double feature it was like Planet Terror and Death Proof yeah um a few years ago and on Death Proof they play the original version of the Joe Tex ver- uh, version of uh, Baby It's You and I remember hearing that I was like he's friendly did that song. <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, I, I would love to hear like an actual official release with that stuff because I think there's some, a lot of good songs there. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see those songs get their due. It's been long enough now. Enough people have had to have said it, said it to them, you know, at least if nothing else, redo audio video. Cause it may be the greatest song you've never released. Yeah, I like that stuff. And, you know, Ace could have been an interesting new wave artist if he he chose to go that route. You see Ace Frehley with like a flock of seagulls haircut and skinny tie. Yeah, he already had the weird Washburn guitar. (laughs) Oh, God, let's not talk about the guitar. (laughs) The ugliest guitar ever created. Oh, man, I thought that thing looked so cool. The AF40, I think is what it was called. Yeah, it sounds like shit. Uh, yeah, and I, I was looking through one of these old magazines, and it would show Ace and photos uh, playing a Les Paul with a Wonder Bar uh, whammy bar. And I was like, oh, that, there's something so wrong about that. Yeah. I actually bought that from Jeremy Asbrock at his uh, garage sale. What's that? The, uh, the It was like an old circus magazine from the 80s. Oh, right pi- on. Pictures of him using the Wonder Bar on the Les Paul. And I was like, oh, there's something so wrong with Ace. <laughs> don't, do not put a whammy bar on a Les Paul. It, no. It's a bad idea. Yeah, it don't seem right. <laughs> it's like sacrilege. Um, <laughs> okay, so I wanted to stay in the 80s for my last two picks. And uh, there's nothing more 80s than King Cobra. And uh, King Cobra had a really strange history. Uh, they, they arguably had some of the best players of the era in and out of the band, including Carmine Apiece, of course, Mick Sweeta, 
original singer Mark Free, Johnny Rod, you know, some of you might know from Wasp, yeah. and Lonnie Vincent on bass. And, of course, now they have Paul Shortino fronting the band. And actually, I heard uh, new material from King Cobra is on the way. So I'm excited for that. I heard that, too. But for a brief moment in 1987, three of four members that would become the Bullet Boys were in King Cobra. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Uh, So they had Mick Sweeta, Lonnie Vincent, and Mark Torian on vocals, along with Carmine. And they didn't actually release a record with this lineup, but demos were recorded with that thing, including this tune called Your Love's a Sin. That's cool. I've never heard that before with Mark Torian in King Cobra. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I would never, um, I would never want to lose the Bullet Boys debut album, but it would have been interesting to hear a full album with that lineup of King Cobra to see what it would have done. Yeah, but it also kind of it's uh, it's a bit confused though because it's got like great riffs and stuff, but then it goes into the verses and it's like. Is this a Chicago song? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost adult contemporary sounding. So I don't know if... I think they were kind of lost at that period of time. Oh, it's and still got a pretty cool vibe to it, though. It does, and it and it's cool to have that available, but uh, I'd like to hear more demos with that version of the band. But uh, King Cobra, another underrated 80s band that I think you know should have gotten more attention. Pretty interesting. I never even knew that stuff existed. Well, I knew Mark sang with them for a few months, and like this was recorded during those few months. But I had never really heard anything until I started researching to do Demolicious, and I was like, "Oh wow, there actually is some Torian, you know, era stuff on here." But yeah, that's three quarters of the Bullet Boys with Carmine Peace on drums. That's cool, man. I love it. Yep. All right, well, I got one more, and then we're gonna end the show on a mystery. That okay. maybe our listeners can help us with. But before we get to that one, I got one more here for you. Now, last year, Deadline Records released Enough's Enough's, Never Enough, Rarities and Demos, little box set. Yep. Three discs of songs that had never been heard before. You know, Donnie V told us, Chip told us, they got millions of songs. 
Oh, yeah. They've been recording for years, and those guys are just song machines. They can just pump them out. So it wasn't really too much of a surprise when they said, hey, there's a three-disc box set coming out that's got all kinds of songs you've never heard before. Being the Big Enough Snuff fan I am, I was pretty damn excited about this, and I got it right away. I pre-ordered that thing and was so excited when it showed up. Now, for something like this, you kind of need to be a real big fan of that band already to go for something like this. Because if you're not familiar with them, you don't want to start with the B-sides and backtracks and demos and things that never actually made it on the albums. So when I got this, I was like, first off, it's like, holy shit, there's almost 20 songs on each disc and... You know, it's all stuff I've never heard of before, and I'm really going to have to go through it all. And some of it is really good, and some of it's a little difficult to listen to just because the original audio just couldn't be saved, you know. And even at that, sometimes you can have an amazing song that's a little bit unlistenable. But being the fact that there's so many songs on here to choose from, there's some real, real gems mixed in there. Here's a song that I don't know when it came out, when it was, well, I guess it never came out, but I don't know when it was recorded. I don't know what era of the band it would be. I have no idea anything about it. All I know is this song is so freaking good that it could have found room on just about any Enough's Enough album over the years. Somewhere, they should have pulled this one out and put it on something because it's amazing and out of this whole box set this is my favorite song on it should have been on some kind of album somewhere because it's good and it's called The Real Thing that one before and i thought i'd heard everything from them that was kind of available but uh very interesting to hear yeah and it jams and it's cool and it's one of those dotty v songs of you know this is why i messed up you know this is why i got troubles in life and you know it's it's a autobiographical kind of a song and i dig that you know i love the reality of it it's called the real thing you know everybody said i i'd never be shit but you know what we're doing something right well, it's yeah, it's it's funny that most of my favorite enough's enough songs are the darker stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
like my favorite enough's enough song is called the beast and yeah. I think that's from uh what album is that one is that off the uh is that off the question mark album see the question mark or i don't remember they got so many it's like the the ultimate addiction song yeah and uh you know having the coke without the smile and uh stuff like that uh i just i don't know when donnie gets introspective he can write a hell of a song there's another song on here i think it's called everyone says no where it's about you know i don't feel good been doing drugs and drinking whatever partying too hard maybe we should stop for a minute and everyone says no. <laughs> I think that's a really cool one on here, too. That's an interesting way to look at it because he probably had a lot of yes men in his life, especially in their, their glory years. Yeah, especially when everybody around him's partying and you go, yeah. maybe we need to slow down for a minute. And everyone else goes, no, this is great. Let's do some more. Yeah. But no, that, that was interesting to hear. I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's a good one. I like it a lot. If you're a fan of Enough's Enough or you're into the band and want a little bit more from them, if you didn't get it last year, I recommend it. It's called Never Enough Rarities and Demos. Three discs of stuff. Not everything is gold, but there is definitely some diamonds in there. Did you order the flash drive from Donnie that he told us about? No, I don't think that ever came out. Oh, no, it did. Oh, did I've it? Seen, I've seen him promote it. It's like 100 bucks, but it's oh, like... Oh, maybe that's why I didn't get it. But it's like a ton of music, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to get it. I don't know. It's got like tons of... It's like 20-plus records of music on there. So, yeah. Um, and even, even at time. this, like I said, you know, there's three discs, and some of it's not so great as far as listenability of it. But, I mean, for the songs that I got off of here that I just love... Yeah. It was totally worth it. Yeah. So I got to imagine it's probably the same thing with that. A lot to dig through, yeah. but some real treasure buried in there somewhere. Right. So I've got one more, and then you're going to hit us with the mystery pick to close things out. Oh, you do have one more? I do have one more. Okay, good. All right. So my last pick today is a bit of a cheat, but uh, I do love this song, so who gives a fuck? Um most people will know this song as a Racer X song from the second Heat album because it was officially released as a Racer X song. However, before they recorded it, it was written and recorded by Judas Priest for the Turbo album sessions. Wait and a it, minute. Are we talking about like Racer X, talking about like uh, Marty Friedman and Jason Becker? Well, I mean, same era, but no, Paul Gilbert was a guitar player. Jeff Martin was the singer. Okay. All and right. Jeff Martin would replace Eric Singer as the drummer in Badlands. And then, uh, but no, they were, uh, it was, it, you know, kind of the guitar hero era. And, uh, also the, I've played the cover of moon age daydream, the David Bowie cover from second heat, but second heat's oh, an yeah. amazing record. That was cool. Um, but no, it racer expert released this song on that record, but it was written by KK Glenn and I think Rob for Judas priest, but it was recorded for turbo. Hmm. Because remember, Turbo was initially going to be a double album called Twin Turbos. Yeah. But they they pared it down to one, and this was one of the songs that got axed. Now, it would also later be re-recorded by Rob for his live Insurrection album, but it was a studio track. And then Judas Priest would also later release this on the Metallogy box set. So it has been officially released, but it's cool to hear the original 1986 recording which is what I'm going to play now this is Judas Priest with a cool song called Heart of a Lion I see your face. It seems like a 
perfect on turbo wouldn't it i think so yeah yeah i mean but i do love the racer x cover of it but they didn't think it would work for them so they gave it to racer x that is pretty wild it makes me wonder if that was if it was supposed to be twin turbos and you had two albums worth of stuff and you had to pare it down to one album i know that there's been a couple of songs that have come out over the years that have been a part of that but are there more missing songs no there is that they did um well, there's some really bad songs they did with these British producers that were doing like dance music. Um, oh shit! And you wouldn't like them. Um, those came out later, but the weird tie-in with this, with the Racer X tie-in, was the drummer for Racer X was Scott Travis, who is now a Judas Priest drummer, and he joined them during Painkiller. Oh wow! Yeah, so like, so they were friendly with the band. And that's how the song wound up with Racer X. Tell you what, we'll trade you a song for your drummer. What do you say? Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, Racer X is one of my favorite bands of the 80s, even though they, they didn't really achieve much success. But, uh, you know, before Paul Gilbert went on to Mr. Big and Scott Travis went on to um, Judas Priest and Jeff Martin went on to Badlands. Pretty wild. Yeah. I'd like to hear more of that stuff. Yeah, the Racer X CDs aren't something you see every day. Not no. Most people that own them are not going to sell them. Yeah. All right. Well, Demolicious has been pretty cool today, but we're going to wrap it up with a mystery. So this one, I'm especially going to need the Kiss fans to listen up real close and help us figure this out. So back in the '90s. At Intersleeve Records in Wausau, Wisconsin, I found a couple of bootleg Kiss CDs that were entitled Rare Songs, Volume 1 and 2, from the Fancy Fair album. Oh, I do remember Fancy Fair. All right, so Volume 1 has got a bunch of unreleased demos and stuff on here. It's got Council of the Elder. It's got Don't Run. Um, it's got a million to one. I think that's instrumental. It's got Boy Wanna Rock on here. And it's also got Live in Australia 1980. And then part two has got some weird stuff on here. And it's got a song on here called Suicide that is leads me to believe, and I always have since I've always heard it because I just thought, you know, well, it says that's what it is. Back then, you didn't really have internet so readily available where you could double-check something like that. So over the years, I just always believed that this was a Kiss song with Mark St. John on vocals of something that maybe have demoed 
or been demoed for Animalize, but didn't make it. Huh. Listen to this song for years. So I'm going to give you a taste of it. it. This may or may not be Mark St. John, but the song's called Suicide, and then we'll talk about it.
So I was disappointed when you and I, before we started recording, you asked me about this because I assumed you would have all the answers for me. I got nothing on this. I mean, I, I when you sent it to me, I was like, I don't know. I've never heard this before. So I know nothing about it. All I know is, like I said, it was on this bootleg that I got in the 90s, and I've been listening to it for years. Always thought it was pretty cool, you know, thought it was a good yeah. rocking song. The bass guitar kind of reminds me of Gene playing from around that era. Yeah. So I'd never really questioned it. So I start looking on YouTube to see if it's on there, and it is. Uh-huh. And I look down in the comments, and I see a couple of different things. And people are skeptical of if it is actually Mark St. John. Somebody on sure. there said this is actually a Canadian band called Zon, Z-O-N. And it came off an album called Back Down to Earth. So I go, I'm on YouTube, so I look up Zon, and I look up the song Suicide. Mm-hmm. And while Zon does do a version of this song, it's not what was just played now. Right. Further down the comments, somebody says, oh, I know this song. I've got had this for years. It's a Vinnie Vincent demo. No, it's definitely not a Vinnie Vincent demo. I don't know what it is. But like I said, all these years, I just it's said on this disc that it's a Mark St. John Kiss demo called Suicide. That's all I know about it. I think it's cool as hell, but I don't know what it is. It's interesting, but there's no way it's an animalized demo. I can tell right away that it's not. Well, even if it, even if it was, there's no way that on animalized that Gene and Paul were even slightly considering allowing Mark St. John to do a lead vocal on a song. No, no there's no way. I don't know what this is. I'm like, well, I'll have to put it out to the listeners. Like, if you if you know what the hell this is and who it is, then say so in the comments because I don't know. Um, there was. There's a lot of Kiss songs that were labeled as Kiss um, back in the day, especially in the 90s when bootleg trading kind of took off. And like one of my picks today was going to be a song that used to be mislabeled as a Kiss song, but I couldn't find like a, a decently enough recorded version of it to do it. But And it used to be called a Wasp song. It was called 80s Ladies. Um but it was actually not a Wasp song. It was it was a band called Sister that was Blackie Lawless's band before Wasp. Oh, yeah. You know what? I found some, speaking of Sister, I found some Sister and London demos that are out there on YouTube, and some of them yeah. are really good. Yeah, I mean, there's good material there. And actually, but I also, you know, to add another layer to this, um, kissfaq.com, they found an interview with Paul Stanley, I think it was from the early 80s, and even back then, people were attributing 80s ladies to Gene and Paul somehow. And Paul says in the interview, well, send us a copy of 80s ladies because everybody says it sounds like us, but we've never heard it. We want to hear it. So Blackie Lawless had kind of a, con- a kiss connection even back then. But um, And it's actually a good song. I mean, you can find some rough versions of the recordings, but... Um, but there was also a song uh, like, well, Don't Leave Me Lonely, which was a Brian Adams song. Eric Carr wrote that with Brian Adams. Hmm. And there's there's rumors that Kiss recorded that for Creatures, but it never got got to the record. There's also a, a song called You Make Me Feel Like Dancing, I think is what it's called. And it wasn't even a Kiss-related person, but it got attributed to Kiss, too. So I guess back then when you got that CD... Like I said, yeah. it wasn't like just looking at your phone and trying to figure it out. 
It was different. You just didn't know. You kind of took things at face value. And with a bootleg, sometimes it's hard to do that because, you know, I always think of like uh, the beginnings of the internet, the dial-up where, you know, you would download songs and I'd find something and it'd be like Ace Fraley, some song I'd never heard of before. I'd be like, holy shit. I remember (laughs) one time staying up for hours waiting for the song because back then it didn't download in two minutes right it would take hours to download a song for off the internet and so waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and then it's finally done and you go oh yeah and you hit play and it's like this isn't ace really right what the fuck am i doing with my life <laughs> that happened a lot back in those early days yeah. But no, there was a lot of Kiss stuff that was attributed to Kiss that wasn't really Kiss songs. So I don't, the suicide thing, I don't think it's Mark St. John. I could be wrong, but hopefully somebody in the comment section can, can tell us. Julian Gill, are you out there? Yeah. Can you help us? Can anybody help us? I especially save that song for the very end because it's a true mystery. And you know what? It's been a mystery to me for the better part of 15 years. I have no idea, but I think it's cool. And I'd like to know what it actually is. And somewhere deep down inside, I'm actually hoping that it is Mark St. John doing vocals on a song that Kiss is playing on. I doubt it. That would be news to me. That would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So let us know. And uh, if there's demos that you think we should be playing on the... Because we obviously have to do this again. On the next version of Demolicious, uh, say so in the comments. Yeah, or if you have demos that nobody's ever heard before, send them to us, too. We'd love to hear them. Yeah, Sam Loomis, are you listening? Yeah, send us some Kiss demos, songs we've never heard before. Yeah.